What's up, folks? This is Tony Brewer, and you're listening or watching, as the case may be, Cogitations. Cogitations is the podcast where we think about things, we contemplate them, we turn them over in our minds, and then we discuss them. Daniel chapter 7, verse 28. Daniel writes, Hitherto is the end of the matter. As for me, Daniel, my cogitations much troubled me. My countenance changed in me, but I kept the matter to my heart. We're not going to keep the matter in our heart. We're going to talk about it. Today, we're going to talk about what we can learn from a picnic. That's using that term a little loosely, but I think you'll see as the, as the show progresses. Uh, before we get into the meat of our podcast, I'd like to turn your attention to ways to support digitalbiblestudy.org and to support me personally. You can support me personally by becoming a patron, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches. You can also go to digitalbiblestudy.locals.com and you can go to digitalbiblestudy.org where you can support for as little as uh, uh, those three is a dollar a month, $2 a month, or $5 a month respectively. And you can support as high as you want, but the minimums are listed previously. There's 44 of you in here right now. If you haven't yet, be sure and share the stream. If you're watching on YouTube, share it. If you're watching on Facebook, share it. Be sure and like it. Uh, you're very uh, active whenever you comment and stuff like that, so that's great. That's one reason why Digital Bible Study is so successful as far as how many people it brings in. Uh, thank you very much for that. Um, okay, now let me look at the comments and let's get our uh, hellos and stuff. Oh, Diana Harden, that makes me feel so happy. Happy, happy, joy, joy. It's time for Tony. And uh, uh, Merci said, good evening, Brother Tony. Glad to be on this uh, be on this side of the evening. Absolutely. And good evening, Connie. Glad you're here. And Gwen Cooper, glad you're here. Jonathan Exum, uh, good evening to you. And uh, no, it was, sorry, John, uh, Jonathan, I was thinking it was you that joined us this morning for Christianity Now. Uh, with me and Aaron Dodson, but it was uh, David Stafford. David Stafford typically tunes into that. His schedule must be to where he can tune in during the day there. Uh, Gita, hello, and Paige Perry. Uh, oh, she's talking to somebody else. Good deal. And Dale Simon and and uh, Debbie Mangus, good to see you. And uh, Christine Woodall, good to see y'all. Listen, thank you so much. Now, tonight's episode, y'all, I preached this Sunday. So... Y'all are going to get it. But at the Riverview Church of Christ, we don't want to put a whole lot of our stuff out on Facebook. Uh, we have a private group just for the members, and we we send our stuff there for our members to look at in the archive. And uh, we don't want to we we don't we don't want anybody to ever say, well, you know, I would come to see you over at Riverview, but I don't have to because I can just watch all your stuff online. Uh, we want you to come and visit us. That's why we don't put our sermons and our Bible classes out. That's just for us. It's kind of like a perk of being a member of the Riverview Church of Christ. Uh, not that not, not that a big perk is having to listen to me three or four times a week, but we're just saying. Um, where was I at? Oh, yeah. So uh, Wednesdays, I go through the book of John. That's what they wanted to do next after whatever we had gotten through studying. And so now I'm going through the book of John, and instead of going through the book of John on chapter 6, which covers this miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, I said, look, I have a sermon that I have written, and uh, I want to deliver that sermon. So I brought out a few points about John chapter, the, 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 the miracle, and then we went on, and I preached this sermon, What Can We Learn From a Picnic? And the folks liked it. And seeing as they liked it, I thought I would deliver it here to you. So tonight we're going to talk about what can we learn from a picnic. Henry McClure, good to see you. I hope you and you and Leslie are doing well. And Dolly Jones, Jonathan said he was traveling this morning, so could not catch it live. Well, I hope, I hope all is well with your travels. So let me just get right into this. What can we learn from a picnic? The text is Luke chapter 9, 10 through 17. So instead of being in the book of John and focusing on that, we're going to, some of the stuff, some of the observations, some of my cogitations are from the text in Luke chapter 9. So let me read this. I'm going to read this in its entirety. Uh, it's just seven verses. And then, then we'll, have, we'll talk about it. And there are six things 
that I think we can learn from this picnic. Starting in verse 10 of chapter 9, the book of Luke, And the apostles, when they were returned, told him all that they had done. And he took them and went aside privately into a desert place belonging to the city called Bethsaida. And the people, when they knew it, followed him. And he received them and spake unto them of the kingdom of God and healed them that had need of healing. And when they had began to wear away, then came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away, that they may go into the towns and countries round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. But he said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said, We have no more but five loaves and two fishes, except we should go and buy meat for all these people. For they were about five thousand men. And he said to his disciples, Make them sit down by fifties in a company. And they did so, and made them all sit down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fishes, and looking up to heaven, he blessed them, and brake, and gave the disciples to sit before the multitude. And they did eat, and were all filled. And there was taken up of fragments that remained to them twelve baskets. That is a wonderful miracle. It's a wonderful account of a miracle. And what I learned from my master, there is always an opportunity to teach and to learn. And if we look at this text, we can learn much from the way our Lord handles this potentially troublesome situation. How does our Lord go about problem solving? Well, let's look at these things. So, the interesting thing about this miracle is it is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded in all four gospel accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Of course, Luke chapter 9, 10 through 17, then Matthew chapter 14, 13 through 21, Mark chapter 6, 30 through 44, and John 6, verses 1 through 14. This, this miracle, in my opinion, shines a light on the difference between a worldly or maybe a maybe worldly carried with it a negative connotation. It, it, it shows the difference between a man solution and a God solution, a, an earthly versus a spiritual, a secular versus a spiritual may be a good way to put it. Notice Luke 9 verse 12 and 9 verse 13. Let, let's, let's look at that. And when the day began to wear, then at that point, came the twelve and said unto him, Send the multitude away that they may go into the towns and the country round about and lodge and get victuals, for we are here in a desert place. So they were where there was no food. And the twelve said, Let's send them away so they can eat. Jesus said, No, you give them to eat. So I see right there. Well, oftentimes Christians, we oftentimes men, mankind, even if they are Christians, they're like, well, you need to go somewhere else to get your help. But Christ, this is a spiritual solution. Christ, through his love, brings all of mankind unto him. Go, go look at 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 14. Christ reconciles. God was in the earth through Christ reconciling us to himself. There was a rift, a separation. Jesus don't want us to go away. Jesus wants us to draw thither. So, as I mentioned, there are six things we can learn from this example of our Lord. We need to be compassionate. We need to be orderly. We need to be thankful. We need to be trusting in the abundance of God. We need to be workers and servants. And we need to be conservationists, and I'm using that term rather accommodatively. So, number one, we need to be compassionate like Christ was compassionate. Because of his compassion, Christ beheld the multitude that followed him 
and he felt a responsibility. That's what compassion means. My my passion is within yours. I feel what you feel, and therefore I want to help. We read in verse 10 of the of the account of Luke that this is a desert place. From where could people get food but from the Christ? They either had to go to Jesus or they had to go to the town. They could not stay where they were. Jesus had a choice. Let's send them away or draw them, draw them to me. So they got to go to Jesus. Well, never has Christ given us the impression that we would be left to fend for ourselves. Why, even in John chapter 15, verse 26, the King James, when speaking of the comforter sent to the apostles, said, I'm going away, but I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm going to send the comforter because you need somebody the way I've been here for you. So the apostles had a special relationship with a comforter that you and I don't have. In fact, he's not our comforter. Jesus is our comforter. But Jesus was going out of the world and wasn't going to be able to help the apostles the way the apostles had help while Jesus was in the world. So once Jesus left, he wasn't going to leave them alone. He was going to give them what they need. We need to have this mindset. Always let's have the mindset of doing everything we can do to get people what they need because we have compassion on them. If if that's our baseline, then we will be able to problem solve and get through these trials and temptations and tests that life throws at us. And we will also draw people to the church, which is in essence drawing people to Christ. Number next, we need to be orderly, just like Jesus was orderly. Listen to this. In Matthew chapter 14, verse 21, we learn that this multitude was about 5,000 men and that not inclusive of women and children. The men only were counted in the 5,000. You know what that means? That means that this multitude could have easily been 20,000 people plus. Think about it. 5,000 men, 5,000 women, 5,000 children, but a lot of folks have way more than one or two children because children are like a, are are like arrows as a blessing from the Lord, and you want a full quiver. So there could have been three or four on average children per woman, and there could have been, and there was probably one. Anyway, twenty thousand is not a stretch, is what I'm getting at. Now, in all four gospels, we're to, we're told it's alluded to how this food was dispersed. This is talking about being orderly. The fact that this crowd was around 20,000 people would have made it next to an impossible feat, except for the orderly way in which our Lord decided to distribute the food. In the Sermon Sunday, I used the example of our potlucks that we have on the last Sunday of every month. You know, this little congregation has grown uh, quite large for uh, East Coast maritime standards. And now we're going to have to change the way we, we, we order ourselves during potluck. We're going to have to move the table that everybody uses to set the food, and we're going to have to move it out from the wall and put it on a different side of the, um, the little room in which we uh, meet and where we can have people going down both sides so it doesn't take so long to get your food. Is that not an amazing problem to have? But the fact of the matter is, it wouldn't get done if we weren't orderly, if we didn't line up, if everybody just rushed the table and it wasn't done orderly, even feeding 35 or 40 people would be next to impossible. Think about trying to feed 20,000 or or 5,000 plus. However, listen listen to the way the Bible describes the orderliness. In all four gospel accounts, we find that the men were sat down. That, that's, that's a given in all four. In Luke, though, we see that they are sat down by 50s in a company. That's Luke 9, 14. But the book of Mark gives us more information. Mark relays this information as the, they were sat down in ranks by hundreds and by 50s. This way, the food was easier to distribute, and everybody got their fill. 
again, this is this is important uh, because being disorderly is to not be in fellowship with God. Everybody knows Second Thessalonians chapter three verse six. We command you, uh, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you. That's not the right verse. That you withdraw fellowship from every brother who walketh disorderly and not after the traditions which he hath received of us. It is a command to withdraw from a brother or sister who is disorderly. If that is the case, and it is, then how important do you feel it is to Christ to be orderly? Well, it's very important, because unless we're orderly, nothing gets done. There's a verse that's taken way far out of context in first in first uh, Corinthians chapter fourteen, um, we're about doing all things decently and in order. Um, there's also a verse there that says God is not the author, or God is God is not the author of confusion, but of peace. In the original language, you could translate that just as easy: confusion is peace, as chaos and order, or disorder and order. God is the God of order, so it's very important. Now, if we have compassion the way Jesus is compassionate, and we start there, that we are not going to send them away, we are going to help these people, then we will find, then we must be orderly and find an orderly way to do it. It cannot be, cannot be disorganized, cannot be chaotic. Number three, we need to be thankful we need to be thankful as Christ is thankful. Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Whenever Jesus prayed for the food, the verbiage is he blessed and break. But in John, John chapter 6, verse 11 specifically, and y'all can, y'all can go there. The verbiage is the part of this blessing is he gave thanks. Brethren, when, when I pray, typically when I'm ask, when I'm praying to God and thanking him for something or for a, well, excuse me, for a meal, I use this kind of language. Would you please bless this food to the nourishment of our bodies and our bodies to thy service? There's nothing wrong with having an attitude of gratitude. And if you have an attitude of gratitude, that is a blessing, not it, it's a blessing from God, meaning what you are thankful for is a blessing from God, but what you have been given, your attitude of gratitude is a blessing too. How is that? Because if you're thankful for it, you're going to treat it differently. If you're thankful for it, you're going to treat it better. Think about think about an inanimate object. This ink pen, for instance. This ink pen, it's it's nothing. It's probably a thirty or forty dollar ink pen. That's Canadian money. So it's probably a twenty-five or thirty dollar US. Now granted, most people don't walk around with a twenty-five or thirty dollar ink pen, but I need an ink pen that I can keep that's sturdy and durable and that I can depend on. Now I can't remember if I got this for my birthday or for Father's Day. Honestly, can't remember. Ain't it terrible? But my wife gave me this pen. I'm very grateful for it. So this pen is a blessing to me. But I also bless this pen. Why? Because I take care of it. It's always with me. I make sure to keep up with it. I make sure to keep its ink cartridge filled. Can't make sure to keep it clean. But why? Because I'm grateful for it. This pen right here, this pen cost me $500. Now, I know what you're thinking. Tony, well, why don't you carry that one around? Because this pen is worth about 20 cents, even though it cost me $500. You see, this is a pen from TNL Auto Service right down the road. And my, my truck started eating up my front tires, so I needed a front end alignment. Well, the reason I needed a front end alignment is because I had a ball joint going uh, that went out in my right front, 
and my right and my front tires were turned in like this. It was a mess. That cost about five hundred dollars. I got a free pen. Actually, the pen's not free, is it? It's a five hundred dollar pen. I don't. I don't bless this pen. I'm not thankful for this pen. I'm rather bitter about it. No, the folks at TNL were really nice and really good. I'm just trying to be a little silly to to show the to illustrate what I'm talking about. This pen stays in my office. I, I only use it when I'm doodling. Now, remember, we're going through life. We need to have an attitude of gratitude. We need to be thankful as Christ was thankful. Our Lord did not eat unless he blessed the meal. When you are when someone gives something to you or when you're blessed with something, understand that your gratitude is a blessing to that thing or person because that means you're going to treat it differently. You know, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 20, we are to give thanks always unto God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's also in Colossians chapter 3. It's in the Bible twice, probably pretty important. So I can learn a little bit about gratitude from a picnic. Number four, we need to be mindful of the inexhaustible riches of Christ. Sustenance from Christ is inexhaustible, just like Christ is inexhaustible. Folks, these people got physical nourishment from our Lord. We, however, can experience unlimited spiritual nourishment from his word. Let's go to John chapter 6, verse 35. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger, and he that believeth on me shall never thirst. Let me tell you something. I like eating a whole lot. But if I lived a thousand years ago, when it was hard to find food, if I could eat one time and never have to forage and, and hunt and, and toil for food again and I could just focus on other things, man, I'd eat it. I would eat it. Oh, man, I got a lot of good comments here. Folks, at the end, I'm going to run back through and look at your comments, okay? Thank you so much for making them. Um... So you and I can partake of this unlimited spiritual sustenance just like these people were able to partake of the unlimited physical. Would it have mattered if the multitude on that fateful day were 5,000 or 5 million? I don't think so, would it? Why? Because Jesus' resources are inexhaustible. You know, we read of sustenance from Christ that will never run out. John chapter 4, verse 13. You remember that woman at the well? He said, if you know who was speaking to you, you would ask a drink of me, and I'd give you a drink of some water where you'd never have to haul water again because you'd never be thirsty again. Same principle as the bread of life. You know, sometimes when it comes to uh, the church functioning, we don't help when we should. I wonder if it's because we don't trust in the inexhaustible riches of Jesus Christ. There is a verse here that come to mind, First or 2 Corinthians chapter 8. I got chills whenever I realized what Paul was trying to tell these people. Let me see. It's not 2 Corinthians chapter 8. It's 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now listen, Paul is saying, look, there's some folks that didn't have anything and they got their money together and sent it to the needy saints in Jerusalem. You folks have an abundance and I've been waiting on your money, your, your donation, your offering for a year. I've told these other people how, how good you are. Don't make me out to be a liar. I know you got all this stuff gathered. You need to send it. And God is able to make all grace abound toward you, that ye, 
always, having all sufficiency in all things, may abound to every good work. You go ahead and let go of that money. Go ahead and send that money. Even though you are low on the low money in your coffers now, God is able to make your work abound. God doesn't need your money. Whenever things happen, whenever things get brought up in a men's meeting, and we all and we there's always somebody there that brings something up. It's a good program, it's good work, but it's going to cost a little money. There's always some man there that says, Oh no, we don't need to do that because of the money. Are we God's children or not? Do we trust in God or not? If we emptied, if every congregation of the Lord's people made a vow before God and witnesses to spend every dime in their coffers in one year to use on benevolence and evangelism, don't you think that God would make sure that the work got done? Do you think God would do you think God would ignore that? Sometimes we need to understand that the resources of Christ, the sustenance which comes from Christ, is inexhaustible. Number five, we need to understand our place as Christ understands his place. Let's go to the book of Philippians real quick. I'm going to read this. And you'll know where I'm going. I'm going to Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 5. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Wherefore God also hath highly exalted him, and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of, Je- uh, the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth, and that every tongue could sh- could, should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus knew his place. In God's scheme of redemption, the second member of the Godhead knew that he must give something up. He's 100% God, 100% man. But he is forever something different than he was in eternity. I don't know the ins and out of that ch- ins and outs of that change, but he's different. Noted, and and he he was fine with that. He became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. You and I need to understand our place. We can't quote unquote work out our own salvation, which mean which many people take to mean figure out for yourself how to be saved. We've got to go to the source. We've got to go to Jesus because that's our place. Jesus is the author. We are the reader. In all four accounts of this miracle, we see Jesus providing the food and the apostles distributing the food and the multitude waiting for the food to be distributed. When it comes to the food that feeds us, the Word of God, Jesus provided that food. The apostles received it, and then the apostles delivered it to the world. Listen to John chapter 20. Neither pray I for these alone, but for all those that shall believe on me through their word, that they may be one, as thou art in me and I in thee, that, 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 that they may be one, Father, that the world may know that thou hast sent me. I'm praying for these, but also for those that will believe on me through their word. So Jesus had the word. Jesus was the word. Jesus had the word. Be careful not to mix your metaphors and your illustrations. But Jesus had the word. 
He delivered that to the apostles by the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost, and then it was delivered from these men who got it directly from the Holy Spirit to all of us today. So you and I are not the boss. You and I are not the deciders. If there's something something going on at a church down the road that I don't like, you know, it's none of my business. I need to keep my mouth shut, especially on Facebook of all things. Now, if it is an actual violation of Scripture and they are walking disorderly and not after the traditions that they've received from the apostles, then I need to be man enough. I don't care if you're a woman or a man. I need to be man enough to go there and be like, hey, we need to have a conversation. I'm coming as your brother or sister. I'm not coming as your enemy. I'm not coming as your judge. But if it's not something where God has legislated, I observe the Passover. Figuratively. In other words, I pass over that. I just keep my mouth shut about it. Same way with a with an individual in the congregation where I attend. If God hasn't legislated, I keep my mouth shut. I, I Nobody died and made me an overseer of that person. I'm not an episkopos anthropos, not an overseer of men. And still don't put it on Facebook. Sorry, I'm not supposed to be looking at the comments right now. But you got it right, Connie. Yeah, don't even put it on Facebook even then. Anyway, we need to understand our place. We really do. Jesus, the apostles, us. Rather reductive, but that's the gist. Now, in Matthew, the account in Matthew goes one step further. If you'll read Matthew chapter 13, verse 18, we learn that the people were brought hither to Jesus by the apostles. All right. If we are going to fill the role of people sent by the Great Commission, because remember, the apostles were were to command the people to do what Jesus had taught them. One of the ways of teaching is by example, is it not? Ought we not to bring people to Jesus or ought we to bring people to Jesus? I think we should. You see, I don't have the food. I don't have the sustenance. So I'm not going to draw people unto me. I don't want the Tony Brewer Church. I don't want the Church of Tony Brewer. I don't even want the Tony Brewer Church of Christ. I want to I want to point people to Jesus. I want to be, as the song we sing so often, just one of the lights along the shore. This is seen many times in Scripture. But nowhere is it more evident than in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. Paul planted... Apollos watered. Who gave the increase? Well, it was God. And before you think you can start making a plant grow, you remember Paul's words to the church in Gaul, Galatia. Be be not deceived. God will not be mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth unto the flesh, or unto his flesh, shall of the flesh reap corruption. He that soweth unto the Spirit shall of the Spirit reap life everlasting. And be not weary in well-doing, for in due time you will be, you will reap if you faint not. Everybody is sowing, everybody is reaping. Are you sowing of the flesh or of the Spirit? If you know your place, you're just throwing out those gospel seeds and you're bringing people to Jesus. If you don't know your place, then you are sowing of the flesh and you're mocking God. Paul was an apostle. Apollo was a disciple. Both were doing the work that needed doing to further the kingdom of heaven, as should we. And I'll read it one more time. 
Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them into the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the age. We just do what the apostles did. What I learned from this miracle, I almost called it a parable, what I learned from this miracle is to know my place. Jesus has his place, the apostles had their place, the people had their place. When it comes to the distribution of the sustenance from Jesus, we fill the role of the apostles today. We just pass it out. That's it. We just pass it out. Number six. This is where I use a term rather accommodatively. You could almost say we, that we must not be wasteful, but I didn't want to have a negative. We should be conservative. We should be conservationist, as Christ is conservative. Now, that word conservative has a political charge to it, and I do not want, I do not want that to be the case. I, I literally mean we should be conservative as <coughs> conservative as a descriptor of one who conserves something, one who is not wasteful. Oh my. Um all right. We had some very interesting comments there. And uh quite frankly was weird. Anyway, I have a tickle in my throat. Pardon me. So, what I mean by conservative is just someone who conserves as meaning someone who is not wasteful. As Christ instructed the apostles to gather the abundance of food, so should we be good stewards of the abundance of our material blessings. That should go without saying, should it not? Do you think the Bible teach teaches wastefulness? Of course it doesn't. But there is another way to, to consider this idea of conservation, and that is the idea that the conservation of mankind. We need to, con to conserve mankind. What do I mean by that? Well, think about this. We're not supposed to be wasteful. Letting people pass from this life without knowing the gospel is wasteful and not in keeping with a Christ-like attitude of conservation. I want to tell you a, a very small snippet of the story of my biological father. He was around up until the Sunday before the Monday that I started seventh grade. He was in my life, always. By the world standard, a very good man. Gentle, a gentle giant. The Sunday before the Monday of seventh grade was probably the absolute worst day of my life. And it pains me to try to craft a scenario in which I could ever suffer a day in my life worse than that from this point going forward, and my biological father died, and I saw that happened. I saw that happen. I remember very quickly something come crashing down on me is the realization that he is not a Christian. I chose, as a young boy, who was baptized into Christ, I chose not to tell him the gospel because I knew from a very early age it would put a strain on our relationship because I have seen it at that time. Even, even at that young, tender age, 
I had seen it put strains on relationships in the past of adults that were around me. So I decided just to enjoy the time. He's my daddy and I'm his son. And then the day came where I no longer had a chance. I squandered my opportunity. I was wasteful. And I chose an earthly relationship and comfort in an earthly relationship over a potential eternal relationship. We need to be conservative. And we need to understand exactly how wasteful it is to squander the opportunities given us to take this food that we have an abundance of and not try to give it to as many people as possible. You see, it had never run out. We're grateful for it. It comes from Jesus. I know I'm not supposed to be looking at the comments, but there's one that talked about redeeming the time. One of the best definitions, one of the best exegesis, exegeses? What's the plural of exegesis? Anyway, one of the best explanations of redeeming the time because the days are evil, I explained to a young man that was diagnostically mentally retarded. All right? He, he, he barely had a high enough IQ to function. And we would have Bible studies every week. And uh, I had to explain to him what the word redeem means. It's to buy something back that you had lost. And uh, once I explained that to him, I said, what do you think Paul means when he says to Christians, redeem the time because the days are evil? He says, well... I think that means that before you were baptized, you were just wasting God's time. So now that you're baptized, you need to make up as much time as you can while you're here on this earth. I have never, from any theologian, no matter how many letters in front of or behind the person's name, heard a better and more profound explanation of what it means to redeem the time than that young man spake that day. You were wasting God's time before you were baptized. Now that you're baptized, you need to make up as much time as you can before you die. We have to be conservative. We have to be conservationist. I have to live with what I did or what I neglected to do and it's probably a lot of the influence on why I do what I do today. And it's probably why I'm so formidable. I'm not afraid to say anything. I will fight the proverbial bear. I'll, I'll, and I'll say what needs to be. I don't care if it costs me my job. Elderships do not like me. Well, Good elderships love me. Elderships that are just babysitters don't. It's impossible to sit in a congregation where I preach and teach and waste time because I don't validate it. I don't give you credit for showing up. I don't give you credit for being a a pew potato. That may mean that I'm a bad person. I don't know. But I do know what's going on up here in Canada, and I know how much this congregation is growing. Anyway. We should want the same amount of people to perish as God wants to perish. Now, how many people does God want to perish? How many people is God willing to let perish? Well, you know the answer to that. God is not slack concerning his promises, as some can count men count slackness, but is long-suffering to usward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. That's 2 Peter 3, 9. 
So, we have gleaned, I believe, some very important lessons from this one act from my master's ministry. We know we must be compassionate. We know we must be orderly. We know we must be mindful of the inexhaustible sustenance from Christ. We know we must understand our place, and we know we must be conservative. If we can but emulate the attitude and actions of our Lord and learn from those actions of the apostles about which we read here in Luke and the other accounts, then we will be more apt and able to spread those spiritual loaves to a lost and dying world. We will be able to feed the masses. And I hope that's exactly what you decide to do going forth from this evening. I hope that you make a vow within yourself. I will never let another opportunity pass me by because I'm thankful for what God has done for me. Because I'm compassionate and I've ordered my life in such a way that I can be effective and I'm thankful for the blessings that I've been given and I know that the resources from which I pull are inexhaustible and I understand my role in them. Therefore, I'm never going to let another opportunity pass by. And folks, that's all I've got for you tonight. I'm so thankful a lot of you are here. I'm going to see how far we can go back up. I'm going to check some of these comments. People, oh, where's that? That's a good one. I mean, there's a lot of good ones, but I'm trying to. People don't care how much you know till they know how much you care. You got that right. And we need to have agape love toward those outside of the kingdom, just as our Lord reconciled us unto himself. And Jesus didn't have the attitude like a man who prayed, bless this food for the nourishment of our bodies, while the food was he was praying over was a bag of Cheetos. There you go. Good evening, Douglas Connerly. And the Lord does, and you got that right, Christine. The Lord doesn't do anything by half measures. Everybody ate as much as they wanted, and they were filled, and they still had leftovers. Absolutely. We need to fuel our faith by feasting on God's Word daily. It is our soul food, and it's even better than real soul food. Deb, I hope you and you and Bob got to got a chance to eat some good old fashioned Southern soul food while you was down in Tennessee. The Severeville Church of Christ did just that and were richly blessed and have been doing um doing that now for many years. Absolutely. And that that's emptying the coffers, making a vow to God. God, we're going to try to outspend you. I know congregations that are dead that have a million dollars in the bank. I'm not speaking in hyperbole, folks. They're, they're, they're dead, and they, they have that much money. Oh, man. Some of these comments I, I can't read because I don't have enough time to put them in their context. But such good comments tonight. Thank you so much. Every person struggles with faith at various seasons of their life. Put your anchor in the scriptures. Show Jesus to be your treasure. Amen. And then that one that I read that I, I probably should have waited to the end, Connie, don't, still don't put it on the Facebook at all. No, sir. <clears throat> Absolutely. Good stuff. All right. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. That's it. I've learned we have to redeem the time wisely that we have. Absolutely. Christine says she lost her dad at the age of five. He was also a gentle giant, also a non-Christian. <coughs> Absolutely. That's rough, Christine. I feel for you. 
My family didn't know Christ, but through his death, we were brought to those who knew Christ and shared him with us, a widow with six children. Wow. Gita, a perspicacious young man, more intuitive than many who have all their faculties. You got that. You've got that. I have never heard anybody but myself use that word, and I heard that except for one time on an episode of Futurama, and instead of perspicacious, it was perspicacity. Thank y'all so much. <laughs> Deb says, we did. Them Southerners can really cook, can, can really cook well. I only gained like 50 pounds. Ain't that the truth? Diane says, thank you, Tony, for your continual devotion to God and teaching his word. Your family is loved and appreciated. Well, thank you so much. All right, thank y'all, thank y'all, thank y'all. I'm, I'm, I'm not going to read all them thank yous because it feels a little self-serving to me. I mean, excuse me, that's not right. I am going to read all of them, but I'm not going to read all of them on the air. So, it's 9.52. Uh, I think the call to action is plain. Let's get out there, take what we've learned from a picnic, and start feeding people. It's almost like saying, go out and make your day a great one for God. Listen. My name's Tony Brewer. You've been listening to Cogitations. I am signing off. This is my static outro. If you like what we did, LaBeth, hold on a second. Connie, LaBeth is doing well. LaBeth is doing well. Y'all, LaBeth um, is, is taking clients. Uh, she does counseling through Zoom. And if you'll go to beamindfulsoul.com, you can learn more about that. If you know anybody that needs counseling, you have you have a free uh, a free one hour session with her, uh, a consultation, and she can let you know whether or not she can help you. And if she can't help you, she will give you a referral to someone who can or and and that's in your area. Okay. Um, but anyway, so LaBeth is doing great. In fact, the, the the ladies have left by now, but every other Tuesday they have a ladies' class, and this Tuesday it was held at our house, so they were all down there in the basement when I come up here. Um, but anyway, thank you so much for asking, Connie, and she's doing really well. Um, so this has been Tony Brewer. If you like what we do and you want to help us out, www.patreon.com forward slash near churches or www.digitalbiblestudy.org or www.digitalbiblestudy.locals.com is what I should have said. Though there's ways you can support us there. The Patreon goes to me directly, though. Uh, please subscribe to the podcast. Podbean, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, TuneIn Tune in Radio, or wherever you listen to your podcast. And uh, that's all I got for you, folks. This has been Tony Birth Cogitations. Thank you so much for your good comments. Thanks to Digital Bible Study for having me on, and we'll catch you on the flip side.